We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start. Start winning. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in his nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And it's Patriots week. About time. Dude, this is the week that you schedule. Every year when the schedule comes out, I don't give a day. Everybody could say, oh, well, the division runs through Buffalo. It doesn't matter. You go to the schedule the day it comes out, and the first thing you're looking for is what? The home prime, opener. Prime time. But for me, it's primetime games. Where is New England? Where is New England? I want them. I want to know when I'm playing them at home. It's like Bill the Butcher in uh, the Gangs of New York. I'm just stalking around the thing. Where is he? Okay. Where's the preacher? I, I need him. I need to find him. That's the way the Patriots are for me in this one. And it couldn't. Chris, I get both. I get the best of both worlds. It's on primetime TV in front of the whole country. Each team is going to lay it out there. And just, we're going to see what everybody has. Oh, I can't wait. Chris, this is this is my most anticipated game of the year. What about you? Oh, for the way our season's gone, absolutely. I mean, they're ahead of us in the division only because they haven't had their bye yet. <sighs> it's going to be a tight game. A lot rides on this. If it's coming down to 
you need those in-division wins and head-to-head matchups. we got to get both of these this month against New England. Well, and with that, our Week 13 preview, the New England Patriots versus the Buffalo Bills. The time, 8.20 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium, Orchard Park, New York. Weather could be snowy, could be a damn blizzard. Nobody knows. <laughs> the line, the Bills are favored by three, which is pretty standard for home teams, meaning that they think these teams are pretty evenly matched. The crew officiating this game, and I can't I can't wrap my head around this because I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. Bill Vinovich. Now, Chris, I, I know there are certain fan bases out there who feel a certain way about this guy, specifically maybe the Saints. Because they go, oh, non-PI call. They, bah, 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 bah. But all of this is born out of what Bill Vinovich is. And there's a reason that he gets a lot of playoff games, a lot of Super Bowl games. Because Bill Vinovich is, it seems like the philosophy of his crew is, we're just going to let these guys play football. I'm not going to, th- we're not going to throw a ton of flags unless you do something that's egregious. Because we want you to play the game. Play the game. Maybe something dirty happens. Maybe something. Listen, this is the game of football. Go out there and play it. I like that because it's a throwback to what the game used to be. But the question is, who does that favor, Chris? Does it favor us or does it favor the Patriots? I don't know. You can never tell with the officiating, especially this year. It's been a complete shit show. I mean, look at the Thanksgiving game with the Raiders and Cowboys. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know who... 28 combined penalties. Yeah, I don't know who... Each team had over 100 yards. I think it's one of the first times it's happened forever. I don't know who, like, the top officiating crew is for this year so far. I don't know if, how they do that. those metrics as the season progresses, but I feel like the best crew should be calling Monday Night Football. Well, I'll tell you this. I think the worst crews... I think we should all send them a gift certificate telling them that they've won a free cruise, get them all on a boat, and then just sink it. And then we just sink it. And then <laughs> And Chris, who do we have on the call? We have a nationally televised game over on ESPN. So it's Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, and Brian Greasy, and then also available. You can watch the Manning cast on ESPN two with Peyton and Eli for this. I'm gonna game. have to record that. Can you imagine the Manning cast, them calling this game? Like, I'm going to record it. I'm going to watch it the next day. Chris, we're podcasting the next day. That should be fun. Are you off? Of course. What do you think? I work after primetime games? Are you what are you out of your mind? Cool. Come over at like three o'clock. Then we can spend the entire night. We can spend seven hours. I'm going to come over at noon and I'm still going to be hung over. And we're going to figure out how we talk about this game. Yeah, I'm just going to be in my underwear on your couch when you wake up. Just drinking beers out of your fridge. Like the homeless guy in Half-Baked <laughs> who just sleeps on the couch. This guy on the couch. Uh, before we dive into this, I saved a special beer for this week. One of Kyle Washington's beers. He sent it to us, and I couldn't bring myself to waste it on a video where it wouldn't be appreciated. Black Plague Brewing Hellhazer from Oceanside, California. It's a hazy IPA. It's got Pinhead. Who, Chris, if we're talking about... And this is going to come up later in the podcast. Movie horror movie like villains. Where does Pinhead rank for you? Never heard of him. Of course, because you never saw the Hellraiser films. I'm not going to lie to you. There was one film, one that actually bothered me as a kid. 
Well, I shouldn't say that. In fact, all of them scared me at some point. I mean, there was the watching Friday the 13th Part 2 when I was in second grade. There was the night that I, you know, I think it was after a seventh grade Halloween party. I listened to I listened to some bad advice from a friend and thought, hey, this is how I'll get this girl to, like, let me kiss her. We'll watch a movie and it'll be scary and she'll cuddle up with me. And we watched Freddy Krueger, the first installment, and she like that didn't go well. <laughs> that did not go well. There was no kissing going on after that because I was just as scared as she was. And <laughs> and then Hellraiser. Hellraiser where wherever they were in Manhattan and running around New York City kill I, I don't know. The concept of that was scarier to me than anything else. And I don't know why. So I wanted to save this IPA for a podcast. I'm happy. Oh, to finally be digging into this. First scent, Chris. It's hoppy, and you can smell a little bit of fruit in there. Oh, yeah. Hoppy, piney, but fruity. I kind of like this. Let's see. Bottoms up. Oh, that's ridiculously smooth. That It doesn't have the taste of a heavy IPA, but I'll tell you what. It's one of those beers that get like, because this is. Isn't it six and a half? Yeah, it's six and a half percent, but it's so smooth. You don't know it has a high ABV. So you start drinking it and you're like, oh, this is easy. These are going down smooth. And then after like five or six of them, you wonder why you don't have pants on, but you're in your own kitchen. Like, wait a minute. I came out here for something. Wait, where are my pants? (laughs) This beer is delicious. Kyle, I've got a special package with some stuff. Some stuff from the Northeast from a family member of mine. On it, I'm just waiting for one more piece of this thing to come in. It It's going to be special. I can't wait, brother. I can't wait to send this back to you to repay you for your generosity. And I've got a special beer for a special podcast. Let's dive right into this thing. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash Rockpile to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
We're not going to waste anybody's time tonight. We're going to jump right into this. There's no monologue like we usually open these preview shows with. We bring in tonight's guest, a recurring guest, and probably one of my favorite over on the AFC's Roundup, Mr. Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots and Sports Illustrated. How are you doing tonight, sir? Gentlemen, doing great. Looking forward to a hell of a game coming up on Monday night. But it's always an honor and always a pleasure to join you guys here on Rock Power Report. Love, to, love coming on. Uh, he, he's a recurring guest over on AFC's Roundup Show. And one of the things I love about him is that he's a real Veronica Corningstone. And when I say that, <laughs> it's, he's a Northeastern guy born and bred. And yet, while everybody else is slamming beers and mispronouncing the word khakis, he's been out here working on his non-regional dialect, so you wouldn't know it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, oh, believe me, the R's drop on occasion. See, that's it. You, you, you do your your entire region a service with your diction and just your prose. I love it. So, before we started recording, we talked a little bit about what things were at the beginning of the season. You made mention that with the Patriots' poor start to the year, you were already kind of turning your eye to to draft content. How have things shifted since then? Uh, six straight wins will do that to you. Uh, the Patriots fall into two and four. You look at the season. You look at some of the formidable games they had coming up on the schedule at the time. The Tennessee Titans, you know, looked like a, a game that was going to be very difficult for them to win. Cleveland looked like a tough one. You didn't know about Los Angeles going out. Uh, you know, Mac playing on the uh, the road, a big game there. Uh, you start to look at the schedule. Both games coming up against the Bills in December and the Indianapolis Colts. It just looked like things were starting to align for the Patriots to maybe even out make a better effort definitely than they made in 2020 but it was kind of looking iffy uh you know for the rest of the season patriots winners are six straight all of a sudden now they're back in the driver's seat when it comes to trying to contend for a playoff spot they're right in the thick of things and trying to contend for the afc east they're right now in the thick of things trying to contend for a top spot in the afc so I wish I could say it's unexpected. It's kind of old hat here in New England, uh, but it was unexpected this year, at least by me, in terms of what this team was going to be able to do. Exceeding expectations is probably the best way for me to put it. Is there tension in Foxborough ahead of this game? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can feel it. it. There's a playoff atmosphere that's going to surround Gillette this week, and rightfully so. I mean, this, I think, is the Patriots' toughest test to date. Uh, I think it's going to be their most hostile environment that they've played in really in two years, you might as well say, because, you know, stadiums most for the most part last year were devoid of fans. Uh, very few, if any, were allowed into any uh, public stadium. So it's going to be an adjustment and it's going to be the toughest game that Mac Jones has played. And I say that even knowing that he had to take the ball under center against the very guy that basically built the house he's playing in now in Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers earlier this season. But this is a playoff game. This is a playoff implication game that the New England Patriots have typically won during the month of December. This is going to be tough. This is not the same Buffalo Bills team two years ago that Tom Brady would be able to maybe uh, you know dial it up at will uh, against uh, uh, Buffalo. This is a much different team. This is a much better team. And this, again, it's going to be the toughest task to uh, to date. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of tension in Foxborough right now because 
that feeling of going to the playoffs is starting to creep back into the fan base here. Uh, it's been a long one-year layoff for the New England Patriots fans. This is not <laughs> easy for Pats fans in the last 20 years to deal with a drought of one year in the playoffs. But uh, say that tongue-in-cheek. But no, all kidding. Well, I was going to say I have uh, the small. Yeah, I have the world's smallest violin over here playing you the saddest song that's ever been written. <laughs> exactly. It's it's such tough times here in Boston and in New England. Not being able to experience a, a postseason uh, for one year. But uh, no, all kidding aside, uh, it is going to be a tough one, and it's going to be a fun one. Uh, but the Patriots are definitely taking it seriously, especially the guys in that locker room. Oh, I can't imagine, because losing when you've won for that long is hard. It is. And I think that that's something that the Bills have yet to understand. Like, it's a dynamic in this game that I think is underrated, that... You're talking about a franchise that does, and they've got a lot of those same players: the Dante Hightowers, the Kyle Van Noys, the you know, J.C. Jackson was around for some of that. The players who don't know what it is to just abjectly lose, and then you get a taste of that in your mouth, whether it's in Miami, whether it's because you're sitting on the couch watching your team play, and you say to yourself, "I've had enough of that. Now I need to come back in here and get it." And I feel like that's what's propelling you guys. So when we break this down, I want to start in the defense. First of all, you've revamped the front seven. First of all, it's absurd the way that your front seven is rebounded from last year to this year. And one of the questions I have is Christian Barmore. Like, why the hell is it that the Patriots and Dolphins fans always get the good Alabama players? And us Bills fans are stuck with the, uh, what, Cyrus Quanjos and Reggie, uh, Raglan. Reggie Raglans of the world. And Marcel Darius. <laughs> what the hell? Captain Marcel Darius. Oh, my God. Yeah, boat captain on a slow boat to China is where he should have been. Jesus. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about uh, you know, his bar- impact on this and about his fit and how they'll use him against Buffalo. Uh, he uh, Barmore has been one of their best, most reliable defenders. And as a rookie, that's not an easy thing to do on a Bill Belichick coach team. You're talking one of the best defensive minds, arguably, in the history of football. And the way he's able to utilize this kid has truly been remarkable. Um, he, his ability to push the pocket, take a stand against the run, that's what's been giving him increased playing time each and every week. And you're seeing this kid grow into a potential star on this uh, on this defense. Um, tremendous size, 6'4", 310 pounds. But he demonstrates that form that makes him really formidable in both run and pass defense packages. And I think that's how you're going to see him deployed on Monday. Um, his great strength to me is his ability to absorb and even beat the double team. And you know that – you know, some of the Bills offensive linemen are going to try to test him. There's no question about it, especially maybe with a little bit of a knee injury that he's been um, uh, gingering the last couple of days. I think that hampered him in Sunday's game against the Tennessee Titans, and I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Tennessee break for such big running yardage on the ground. Patriots allowed 270 yards on the ground on Sunday, which is really an anomaly for them, even though the run defense can be suspect at times they've been largely able to control some pretty good runners uh they really got run over on sunday and one of the big reasons why was barmore he wasn't there uh and able to push off and really absorb that uh that double team so in that respect uh i'm going to be keeping my sharp eye on him all throughout the week and seeing how he's progressing is that injury getting a little bit better or is it about the same but he's going to draw some attention from the offensive lineman when he draws attention away, though, that's one thing about this defense is you have so many other components that are able to get 
into position, and other members of that defensive front can now move toward the ball. Dietrich Wise is having a big year, and one of the big reasons why he is is because of Barmore's presence. It allows Dietrich to be able to pin his ears back, get after the quarterback, do things that he did at Arkansas, as opposed to what he's been doing in New England, kind of languishing a little bit, having good moments here and there. But he's been a little bit more of a consistent presence, and that's because you have a guy like Barmore there who's able to push the pocket and able to get some of these edge defenders uh, into uh, into position. So well, good it. stuff when it comes to uh, uh, to the Pats uh, uh, for him. And Barmore really is one of the keys for it. Well, and that's, I guess, I'm watching this game on Sunday, and I'm saying to myself, this group just confuses the hell out of me because I'd like to think I know football. I'm watching a good front seven, and this is the front seven that can be outrightly dominant in games. Smother yeah. opposing offenses. But then I'm watching the Titans offense just rip off chunk yardage. This makes a little bit of sense when you explain it this way, because I know that your linebacking core is rebuilt. I mean, Dante Hightower is showing a little rust, and maybe it's just a little age, maybe a combination of both. But Kyle Van Noy still looks good. Matt Judon is, I mean, he's he's the crown jewel of your free agent class right now. And his impact, his fingerprints are on every single one of your wins. I see how the Titans were able to manufacture those rushing yards. One of the things that I I guess I question, we all know that you guys are an aggressive front. There's a lot of film on that. But when you see the aggression they play with, at times, like in the case of Jude on this Sunday, I saw it a couple times, where he gets upfield and they just cut off his hip, and that's where they try to attack with the run. Do you think that this is a game where knowing what our quarterback can do with his legs... I know everybody's expecting Judon to be like, oh, my God, we're, we're worried. You know, Spencer Brown is back. He's <laughs> which yeah. is terrifying thinking that a rookie is going to be the saving grace of our offensive tackle tandem. But knowing that if he gets too far upfield, we have a quarterback who's better than any running back on our roster at making your linebacking core in front seven pay for over aggression by giving up their lanes. Is that a concern of yours coming into this football game? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially after what we saw on Sunday with uh, with the New England Patriots. And again, a lot of it is predicated on Barmore's health and his ability to be able to anchor the interior of that defensive line. Lawrence Guy had a very suspect game. Lawrence is usually one of their better players in helping to facilitate the run stoppage. He struggled at times on Sunday, so you're expecting him to bounce back, but that's not a given. Uh, Devon Gacho, I thought, had a pretty good game on Sunday. He was probably their best interior defensive lineman on Sunday, and that includes Barmore, who probably didn't have his best game as a pro uh, against uh, the Tennessee Titans, and Juwan Bentley, who's normally a big run stoppage factor in the middle part of that linebacking core. He struggled a little bit as well. I think Dante was a guy that really kind of helped to, uh, to raise him a little bit uh, and, and try to uh, to bring him in. There were some coverage issues early on. If the Patriots are going to have success, then they're going to need all of their players in that front seven to be able to contribute. And you mentioned Van Noy. Van Noy is definitely doing a uh, you know a great job of of doing what he needs to do, um, and um, you know not only getting after the uh, the quarterback, but also anchoring a lot of what that linebacking core does. And you mentioned Matt Judon. I mean, uh, really, you can't expect more uh, from a player than the Patriots have gotten from Judon in his first year. He allows the front seven to play in position because he's so good at what he does, facilitates their ability to set the edge, stop the run, and 
he's a bigger factor in run defense than people give him credit for. One of the best things that I've seen out of Matt Judon this season is his ability at being able, being able to keep runs from reaching the corner on early downs. If he can provide that type of speed, that strength when rushing the quarterback, he can also maintain his own flexibility to defend some of the rushing attack that you see from opponents that you might see from a Josh Allen or maybe a Devin Singletary if they choose to run it. Uh, you know, On those types of designated runs, that allows Matt Judon to be able to be a factor there as well. So he's going to be someone that I'm definitely keeping a big eye on, on uh, Monday night, and I know Bills fans will as well. They're going to be watching for number nine. They want to see where he's going to be. When we take it a step back and look at the secondary defensive backs and interior coverage, because, I mean, here's the thing. The way the Patriots have chosen to play defense and pick their coverage units in 2021, you guys have opted more often than not this season to deploy a lot of three safety looks. That's it. McCourty, Duggar, Phillips. Every one of them has more than 80% of your defensive snaps. That This safety phalanx has become a backbone of your defense. And that makes sense when you look at the flexibility that it gives you in terms of play calling. Because you're always a little more stout against the run when you have some bigger bodies than a nickel corner, right? And at the same time, mm-hmm. you can Absolutely. cover more ground than a standard stand-up linebacker if you have another safety on the field. And it allows him to be multiple in terms of what he might call on a given play, what he might call of a given look. It's Belichick being Belichick. At the same time, the... The Bills, the last time that you guys came into Buffalo to play us, and also in Foxborough last year, you guys played a lot of dime. And so when I looked at that, I said, okay, well, they played a lot of dime last year, and that that was going to be their answer. And for the first game, it held. And for the second game, it did not. When you look at your roster personnel-wise, the Patriots really haven't got much playing time into the depth of your cornerback group. I mean, Miles Bryant and Jawan Williams. Uh, what, uh, third most snaps of anybody Couple last couple weeks? 27%, uh, just 17 snaps versus Tennessee. And then the week before that, what did Bryant get? 54 snaps, and Jawan Williams was fourth with 20. So these guys right. are kind of afterthoughts, and, and it's... It's not hard to see. I mean, when I look at these guys, I see that they're allowing solid completion percentages against. They both lead the team in yards per reception allowed for the defensive backs. Are are they players that Belichick is kind of trying to keep off the field at this point? I don't necessarily know if they're players that Belichick is trying to keep off the field. I think he's utilizing the personnel to their strengths. I mean, obviously, you look at the Patriots' snap count week after week. You look at Devin McCourty, obviously, he's going to lead that because he's – He's the quarterback back there yes. in the uh, in the defense. As much as uh, uh, Hightower is still running things, and he's the um, least tested. Know, Cordy is the guy that's dictating. He I'm has sorry, the least number of targets and coverage of any of your defensive backs. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a reason for that. I mean, there's there's you know, you you look at the experience that he brings to the table, and even though he did not have his best game in coverage on Sunday against the Titans, meaning McCordy. He was right there in the thick of things to be able to make that tip, allowing J.C. Jackson to get the interception of Ryan Tannehill in the end zone. McCourty right now is uh, you look back at the the uh, the job that he did playing against the Atlanta Falcons in coverage. If I'm a defensive backs coach and I'm looking to 
take a young safety aside, a young free safety, and say, okay, here's how to play midfield coverage. I'm throwing that tape in, and I'm saying, watch number 32. Watch what he does. Keep your eyes on him at all times because McCourty is that type of game changer for the Patriots. When he's on his game, it facilitates so much and so many of the defensive backs to be able to move into position, not just in the safeties, but also in the corners. Um, Obviously, J.C. Jackson is having a tremendous season, and you have to be weary of him anytime you throw in his direction. He has a nose for the football, and he can even, you know, play off the ball as well and be able to go, you know, and get after it. Uh, one of the things that uh, that he was able to do on Sunday was knock the ball loose, and he did that because he knew he had the speed to be able to eclipse his opponent and be able to knock that ball loose. And the Patriots coach that so well. They coach the the ability not just to protect the football, but also watch for ways in which your opponent is not going to protect the football. And JC was the first to say it. He says that was bad, uh, you know, ball protection on Tennessee, and he was able to take advantage of it. So I don't necessarily think that they're saving players from the field. I think it's more of utilizing their strengths. But at the same time, uh, you know, Miles has done a serviceable job. He is not Jonathan Jones back there in the slot, but I think he's done as best as he possibly can trying to fill that role. Jawan has really been more of a rotational piece. If you're talking about the Patriots secondary, especially the two outside corners, you're talking J.C. Jackson, Jalen Mills. Mills started off a little bit shaky. He's been solid and good the last couple of games. He had the force, you know, the fumble recovery, had a, you know, a few passes defense uh, the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. He's looked more comfortable in that role, and I think he's settling in a little bit more. So Pats are going to continue to employ that in the secondary. And Sean Wade is someone who's starting to get a few more snaps here and there. I'm not saying he's going to be a factor, but look for him in situational packages as well. Patriots saw something in him when they traded for him prior to the season from the Baltimore Ravens, and it'll be interesting to see if they try to utilize him in that role a little bit down the stretch, especially in the slot. That's where he was so effective at Ohio State. So here's my question, and this might be the most important one. I feel as though, and it's one of them is just, I'm just looking for affirmation of an idea here. I feel as though we as Bills fans kind of already know what the Patriots have in store for us defensively, because this is what Bilicek does. He gets into a football game and he says, okay, what do you do well? Well, I'm going to take that away. And then I'm going to make you come at me with options C through E and see if that's enough to help you win the football game. So in that way, I'm expecting to see a lot of double coverage on digs in the outside. And if they're smart, maybe a little J.C. Jackson on Sanders, because that's probably a matchup J.C. Jackson can win without help. And in that way, he's already taken options one and two off the table. That sounds fair, right? For the most part, I would say I would agree with you. I think that's exactly what we're going to see. Okay. So what this game might come down to in regards to our offense against your defense is how well the remaining presences in your linebacking core and safety tandems can match up with our skill players. And I'm just curious how this dynamic is going to work. I mean, McKenzie, Davis, Beasley, and Knox, those are the guys you're going to be contending with. Beasley, he's the zone savvy kind of blitz beater. You've got Knox, who is having a season for himself. It's like he finds Chris. How often do we think of him as a bust? Uh, you and I have a Seagram's bet riding on this. Every time I call him the hero of the week, I have to drink a Seagram's for Dawson Knox. Yeah, yeah. That's how bad it's gotten because I thought he was nothing after last year. Now he's stepping to the forefront. And it's already happened twice this year. Gabe Davis makes a lot of sneaky plays. They don't mm-hmm. stand out to you, 
Like when the Saints on the, with the Saints this past week on the Knox touchdown, they run a play action fake. It's a short pass to Knox, and Davis is already downfield blocking. Something the Patriots do fun, they they do incredibly well. I watched that in the Tennessee game. When it's a predetermined like, hey, we're gonna dump this off short. You see guys already downfield blocking. It's why this is so successful. And it's why our defense is really going to have to bring a set of balls to this game. Because these guys have an idea of what they're going to do and they know what it is. So we their dump-offs aren't dump-offs out of desperation. It's dump-offs that are designed and everybody else is behind them. Davis is probably the best wide receiver we have in terms of run blocking, but he's also... He's just super dangerous off play action because of his size, his catch radius, his physicality. And then McKenzie's a nice gadget piece, depending on the weather, depending on how that all formulates. How do you see them trying to tackle the rest of the threats? And how do you see that matching? That's a good and that's a good question, and I think a lot of it uh, stems from, like you said earlier, the base, the Patriots using that three-man safety set, and I think that's exactly how they're going to try to attack this. Look, you mentioned Dawson Knox having a tremendous season, no question about it, and you look at how the Patriots try to defend tight ends. That's one of the areas where they can be had a little bit, but... Kyle Duggar has really taken a step up in being able to cover tight ends. Uh, Adrian Phillips has done a tremendous job as well. It wouldn't shock me to see Adrian draw some coverage uh, if they're going to draw coverage in man uh, against Dawson Knox. And I think that's probably a good matchup for Adrian. Um, Not to to say that he's going to be able to shut him down, but I think it's going to be a challenge for him. And I think it's going to be probably the best matchup for the Patriots to be able to utilize there. Then you go and you take a look and you mentioned Gabriel Davis. And Gabe has been a very... uh, a tough player for the Patriots to contain last year caused some some issues and Gabe can definitely make things happen in the open field you mentioned his size and his ability to uh, uh, to get open um, it wouldn't shock me yet yeah, to see maybe you know uh, someone like a Kyle Duggar uh, you know try to uh, uh, to utilize him as well try to get him into uh, a situation where he may be matched up in man coverage or Patriots try to utilize the zone it's going to be a challenge because Buffalo does have a number of different ways in which they can beat you. And especially Josh Allen utilizing his targets, that's going to be the biggest, uh, you know, problem for them as well. If the Patriots can set their men up front, that's going to allow the secondary to be a little bit easier there. So those are the types of matchups that I'm looking at. If I'm guessing right now, I would probably say Phillips on Knox uh, for the better part of it. I would probably say, um, Someone like a uh, like a Duggar, maybe on a Davis, um, or uh, you know, also uh, at this point we haven't even mentioned Beasley. Miles Bryant would probably be uh, the, uh, the the logical choice in the slot to try to defend him. That could be a matchup that could be problematic. Miles had some breakdown in coverage on. Uh, Sunday against Tennessee, he's going to have to shore that up because the competition he's going to be facing on Monday night is going to be a lot better this week than it was last week against the Titans. So switching sides of the ball, if we're talking about offense, I think it all starts with the rebuilt offensive line really getting off the blocks. Fifth lowest pressure percentage rate allowed in the NFL, a year after you guys were really bad in that regard, or at least not as highly regarded as you guys were used to. And then you're 11th in the NFL in number of players, what is it, number of plays per drive on average, which shows that you're willing to just grind out and able to physically grind out these long, kind of energy-sapping drives over the course of a game. We've kind of grown accustomed to the fact that this is what we're going to see from the Patriots, 
What are the weaknesses of this offensive line? Well, the weaknesses of the offensive line are allowing the blitz and recognizing the blitz. And I think that's something that uh, teams that have been successful in trying to maybe confuse Mac a little bit, show him different looks. Believe it or not, the Atlanta Falcons were actually pretty effective at doing that a couple of weeks ago. Um, Tennessee, for some you know reason, was not able to get as much pressure and probably had to do with the dearth of injuries that they had along their defensive front. But teams that are successful against the Patriots are ones that are able to confuse their looks, design the blitz, and get after the quarterback. If they can do that, the Patriots have had difficulties, especially Mac picking that up. Sometimes it, it has uh, difficulties with the offensive line getting into position. They've become much more adept at being able to block for the run. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, Brandon Bolin. Uh, they've been able to break for yardage because of the blocking that they're getting up front. Also, you want to give credit where credit is due to guys like Jakob Johnson at the fullback position. Nikhil Harry at the wide receiver has been great in one in run blocking and being able to facilitate that. Even some of the tight ends, you'll see Hunter Henry get in there and throw a block every now and then. These guys are utilizing all of their talents to be able to spring that run because it's so much of what the Patriots do well offensively. Use the run to set up play action and get Mac Jones into rhythm. So if there's one area where the offensive line could be had, it's against the blitz. That's where the Buffalo Bills would probably need to attack because if the Patriots can recognize that and contain it, then it makes it all that much easier for that offensive line to throw the type of run and pass protection that the Pats need to be effective uh, moving the ball. We have to talk about, uh, before we get out of here, we have to talk about the quarterback. I mean, I know it all. the running backs are really the straw that stirs the drink for this team. We all know that. I mean, you've got the just this running back stable of skill players that really drive things. It's a one, two, three punch in terms of Bolden, who saved my fantasy team by one point a couple weeks ago, just on waivers. Damian Harris, who I watched play at Alabama, who I know is a good north south runner. He's not flashy, but he's he doesn't waste yardage. I mean, I think it's one of the the biggest things about his game that I love is that I've never watched a running back who has wasted less yardage than Damian Harris. He gets out there, he gets up the field, he doesn't try to dance, he doesn't try to find a hole, he just says, okay, this is where the play is designed to go. I have a feel for where my offensive lineman should be, and even if there's a wall in front of me, I'm going to find a soft spot, I'm going to grind out an extra half yard. I'm going to grind out an extra six inches. (laughs) But that's meaningful in a game that is based on inches. And... Then you look at Ramondre Stevenson, who's really come on in the last month and given your running backs tandem some spark. You know, when Damian Harris was out and everyone thought that all was for naught, he stepped to the forefront and came through in spades for you guys. Would you say that the running back position is more important than the running back or wide receiver position at this point? For the New England Patriots, yeah, the way they're predicated, I would say that. And I think because you have a dual threat option at the running back position, whether it be going to Damian or whether it be going to Ramondre, both of these guys are proving that they can break for yardage, they can run for power, they can run for finesse, and they're capable of dropping back and even receiving out of the backfield. Ramondre did that very well when he was at Oklahoma, and you look at Damian, he did that pretty well when he was at Alabama. Yes, sir. They're not utilized in that fashion uh, most of the time in the pros, 
um, more so Ramondre a little bit this season than Damian, but they do have that ability. And then, of course, you've got the savvy veteran and Brandon Bolden back there who's always there for the reception out of the backfield. He didn't have a carry or a yardage uh, you know, gain in, uh, in Sunday's game, but he did have 54 yards receiving. And that's by... I don't want to say happenstance. It's not. That's by design. That's very close to the role that James White was playing up here. Unfortunately, James out for the season. But Bolin has done a very good job of being that third down option. uh, And it's run very well. And his veteran leadership has been so important for Mac Jones to be able to utilize in catching out of the backfield. Mac's getting more used to using his receivers. So as the weeks go on, he is utilizing his receivers more in that fashion. But the run game is still... Uh, the predicate of what the Patriots need to do because that's how they jumpstart their offense. That's how they utilize their players well. When that running game gets going, it just opens up so much for Mac, not only in play action, but also to be able to pick his targets down. Let's talk about McCorkle. McCorkle (laughs) Jones. Okay. Yeah, he hates it, and I can see why. If my name was McCorkle, I don't know. I would have changed it to McLovin. I would have changed it to anything. I mean, I can't wait to start that chant in the first quarter of this game, knowing that he hates it. I legitimately didn't know that that was his name in Alabama. And you can see why. I'm pretty sure that wouldn't go over. Chris, can you you grew up in the South. I did. <laughs> can you see McCorkle Jones as the quarterback of Alabama University going over well? No, not at no. all. No. I mean, that's the most New England thing I've ever heard. <laughs> when I hear that name, I immediately conjure up these images in my head of like uh, someone who wears boat shoes and a lot of pastel colors. I see an ascot or two in his closet. Like that's McCorkle. That's. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm not going to pick on. Well, his with name. all due respect, his given name is actually Michael McCorkle Jones. So his first name is technically Michael McCorkle was his middle name. A lot of people Dude, don't know that. You That's mean to tell me he could have gone by Mike Jones, and everyone could just be going, <laughs> "Who, who, who? Mike Jones? Who, Mike Jones?" And instead, he went by Mac. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Already, he's judging suspect. <laughs> So, over the course of the season, everybody in the national media has taken the two-knee approach when it comes to kissing the ass of Mac Jones. And and I'm not going to sugarcoat. I mean, it's nauseating. Trying to use stats and narratives, when I see them butting his stats up against Tom Brady's start, does that bother you? It's like, does that bother you to see that? I think it bothers anybody. I really and truly do. I mean, you look at what the narrative is going to be. And look, it's part of the business that we're in, fellas. It's just it's one of those things that is going to be done no matter what. You look at the comparisons. We're hearing comparisons to the 2001 team all the time. Uh, it's it's a topic of conversation up here. Uh Local terrestrial radio up here in New England makes a living doing that for four hours a day, just talking about how this team is different than 2001, how this team is similar, how they're going to blow it, how they're not going to. There's all different kinds of permutations here, but I'm always of the ilk that it does more of a disservice to your quarterback to compare him to someone like Tom than it does to just let him be him. So, yeah, in a way, it bothers me because they are two different quarterbacks, despite of the fact that people want to 
you know, plug and play and have Tom be put into the position that Mac was in and say, oh, well, you know, Mac could do this and Tom couldn't do this. And, oh, well, Mac can do that. But, you know, it's it's really it's just it's really a chasing your tail argument to me. What Mac Jones is doing well right now is something that is, I think, maybe ahead of where everyone thought he would be at this time, myself included. I've gone on your airwaves before, and I had said that I believe that the Patriots would be smart to hand the keys to Cam Newton this year, allow him, allow Mac to be able to learn, and then have him be ready for the uh, the season in 2022. I was obviously wrong on that, and I definitely take my lumps on it. But the more I look to see Mac Jones in the comfort level that he has in this offense, uh, it just it really is a hand in glove fit. But it's a different circumstance, and to compare him to Tom, I think is a, really a it's a disservice all the way around. So, well, so I hear yeah, this long, stuff. Long story short, yeah, it does. It, it bothers me. I hear this stuff, and all I can think of was, okay, they're talking about him, so I better tune in. And the first night I do, well, the first day I did, it was like re-watching the Chargers-Patriots game. And I go, okay, I thought I'd be wowed, and I wasn't. And then I'm like, okay, it's Thursday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons. They suck. He's going to light this team up. And... Then I'm like, okay, well, here I am. I'm it's a it's it's a Bills like a, a week where the Bills already played. I'm gonna watch him play against the Tennessee Titans, and I'm sure he's gonna show me what everyone else is screaming about on in the national media about why he's a runaway like rookie of the year candidate. Blah 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 blah. And I didn't see it, and it immediately conjured to mind the moment where Randy Watson from Coming to America comes out, and they're like. Here, here it goes, sexual chocolate. And he comes out, and there's that guy in the crowd who goes, that boy good. <laughs> I was just like, who, who's saying this? The national media, that's them. They're the only ones who are out there. It's terrible. I mean, I'm not going to say he's terrible, but here's something I've noticed, and I want to hear, I want to get your thoughts on this, because I've watched this happen over the last month, and it's a pattern that I can't, I can't move away from. Against the Chargers. Okay. The Patriots score on their opening drive and then kicked four consecutive field goals until late in the fourth, where your defense gets a score because Adrian Phillips gets a little revenge on his old team. And in the process, Mac Jones completes 51% of his passes for 217 yards and no touchdowns. A vintage 2018 Josh Allen performance that luckily the team was around him was good enough to carry the load. Then you you go to the Atlanta game on Thursday Night Football. You're only leading by 10 at halftime. Despite the Falcons being awful and Matt Ryan only gaining a handful of first downs, they score an opening scripted drive touchdown. And from that point on, one to put together four consecutive field goal drives until the defense picked off Josh Rosen and ran, ran it back for a touchdown, which helped my fantasy team immensely. Then this past weekend against Tennessee... You're talking about one of the more fantasy football-friendly defenses. A team the Bills hung more than 30 on earlier this year with the passing game. Before, they were missing multiple starters on offense and defense. One scripted touchdown drive to open the game, followed by four consecutive field goals. (laughs) I feel like if if you do it once, it's an aberration. If you do it twice, you say, well, that's happenstance. Maybe it's a, if you do it three times, now you have a trend. What do you think of this? This concept that 
the Patriots can score on scripted drives because Josh McDaniel's super talented. But that if you look at the numbers, McCorkle is not leading a lot of touchdown drives over the course of these games. No, he's not leading a lot of touchdown drives over the course of these games. But what he is doing is completing his passes at over 70% on the season. And that's exactly what the Patriots need him to do. Mac is not going to illuminate the stat sheet when it comes to touchdowns. He's not at that level yet. He won't be. And again, I'm going to do something that a few moments ago I just said I hated. But (laughs) you look at the early days of what Tom was doing, and he wasn't doing the same thing either. The Patriots right now in the offense that they're running is predicated on the power run to facilitate open up play action and be able to have Mac try to hit his targets down the field. He's taking more shots downfield each and every week. He's throwing into tighter coverage each and every week, which shows that he's getting more comfortable in Josh McDaniel's offense. But what this offense is still predicated on is running the football, being able to grind you out a little bit. And as he starts to get more comfort level in this offense, you'll see him take shots down. You'll see him go get a little bit more aggressive. The training wheels have come off a little bit in the last few weeks, but ultimately You hit the nail on the head. This is a team that's still predicated on defensive capitalization on misfortune, and the Patriots are as good as anyone in the NFL at being able to do just that. And they do have a very reliable kicker this year in Nick Folk that can provide them to keep piling points on the board when they're not able to get the ball into the end zone. And at that level, that surprises me. I don't want to say surprises me, but that worries me a little bit facing a team like Buffalo because you're not going to get those yards. You're not going to get that opportunity uh, to be able to you know, continue to pile points on the board and know that your defense is going to be able to make stops when needed. Buffalo's a little bit too good on both sides of the ball in order to give those opportunities away. So that's why I say this is going to be Mac's biggest game coming up. He's going to have to be on his game in order to be able to move the ball effectively, dictate that offense, and run it with a command. We've seen him do it. He's got to do it at a higher level. Go for now, sure. the competition is getting is getting higher, and the, uh, the teams that he's going to be facing down the stretch, namely the Bills twice, and of course, got to throw in the Indianapolis Colts as well. I don't want to say that too loud to some of your fans. And Colts, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, that, that was that was a little rough. That's uh, listen, we got that was, that was one of those games one. where you but, questioned whether or not your team actually gave a shit. You're like, do you all want to be here? Because yeah. it seems like you don't. Yeah, like, and uh, I guess that's the difference is that you guys don't. <laughs> well, and that's I guess my point is that you guys don't have those games. You're well coached, and for as many people who want to poke fun at the Patriot way. You guys don't have those blowout losses. They don't come along as often as they seem to for hours. What I will say, if I'm talking about Mac Jones, before we move off this topic and kind of wrap this up, when I look at this, I mean, the talent on hand, this is what we've known from McDaniels. This is is Josh McDaniels' wheelhouse as an offensive coordinator. You've got two dynamic tight ends, although, Chris, you had a hilarious joke. I don't know if we can tell it. About uh, John o. Smith? <laughs> I mean, there's another one we can tell. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. But what I'll say is that this is motion to set up the short pass with one or two options baked in for him to kind of check down if his first target's covered. Neither of which are very far downfield. And when you look at this, most of Max, uh, half of his yardage this year is yards after the catch which underscores that our secondary and our linebacker core has to be on point when he does throw the ball because you're going to be the ones who are tasked with stopping that. 
And when right. you look at the downfield passing, whether it's a byproduct of the talent around him, the scheme, or just his just them telling him, hey, Rook, don't screw this up, his risk-averse nature, downfield passing isn't it's not only something he, he's attempt he hasn't attempted much, but he hasn't been kind to Mac when he's done it. I mean, when you look, Chris passes more than 10 yards downfield, make up just 31% of his pass attempts. And then when you look at Just some of the stats around that. Under 10 air yards, he's 80% for nine touchdowns, three picks. When he goes over 10 air yards, 54%, seven touchdowns, five picks. And then you think about this, it's one of the league's lower percentage of aggressive passes, which means he's not throwing into contested windows very often. He's typically just... Hey, we've designed this open. I'm going to throw to it. I have this guy. I have that guy. I have two checks. I can make them both because they're super close to the line of scrimmage and nobody's really come up on the ball yet. They're they're essentially giving him the keys to the car, but saying, look, we're going to put a governor on it. You can only throw it X. When you do throw it down here, it's not good. But we'll let you pick your shots. Most of the offense is predicated inside a seven-yard box. And under pressure, he's a wholly different quarterback, which I, I get isn't un, unusual for most quarterbacks and definitely not rookies. But he has a 17% drop in completion percentage if you can if you actually can pressure him or make him seem feel like he's being pressured. And his touchdown to interception ratio goes from two to one to one to zero point seven five. I I'm not a <laughs> listen, I love the kid when he was in he won my college team a national title. I'm everyone who listens to our AFC's roundups every week talks about how I'm apparently a Mac apologist that I'm in I'm I love it. I love New England. I hear all the noise. What I'll say is that I don't think he's anything special until he shows it here at the NFL level, but he has poise. And that's what you need to run a Bilicek offense, especially like this. Now, you said it once to us over on the AFC's roundup that the Patriots, they're built set in the fourth quarter, regardless of what the other team does. You guys are still within striking distance. In your opinion, what does Buffalo have to do, just on both sides of the ball, to make sure that when that fourth quarter rolls around, we have the upper hand? If they want to be able to do that, and if they're going to try to do that and keep the Patriots off the scoreboard, again, and I mentioned this earlier, I think the best thing that Buffalo can do is to be able to show the blitz, to be not just show the blitz, but be able to disguise the blitz in a way that's going to cause confusion for Mac, because that's really, I think, the easiest way to get to him when he's not comfortable and he's, you know, He's confused either at the line of scrimmage or he's not comfortable or his offensive line is not providing the protection against the blitz that he needs. That's where you can get to him. One of the great things about what Josh McDaniels is doing is to try to, I don't want to say mask some of Mac's shortcomings because they're really not doing that, but they're scheming up situations where he's breaking zone coverage. If you're breaking zone coverage and you're allowing Mac to get the ball down the field, it's going to make him look a lot more formidable uh, than, you know, essentially than maybe the numbers would bear out. Um, at, At this point, if I'm the Buffalo Bills, I'm looking to contain the run. You've got to stop the run in order to be able to keep the Patriots at bay. That's something that the Tennessee Titans did a very good job of in the first half of Sunday's game. And that's one of the reasons why the score was so close. When you look at the second half, 
their run defense broke down, and that's when the Patriots were able to spring free. All of a sudden, Damian Harris was getting his carries. Ramondre Stevenson was getting his carries. And then they started to really kind of utilize their strengths, and that's when the game kind of broke open. So if I'm Buffalo, I'm focusing on stopping the run, and then what you can do is you can pin your ears back and get after Mac cause some confusion, show him different types of blitz looks that may be difficult for him to pick up. If they're able to do that, Buffalo's going to keep them out of the uh, the end zone, and they're going to keep them at bay. If the Patriots are kicking multiple field goals on Monday night, it's not going to be enough for them to get the win. So that, to me, is the key, and I think something that Buffalo will I don't want to say be able to do because I don't want to anger my fan base, but I think that's something that Buffalo is more adept to do than the team that they faced on Sunday in the Tennessee Titans. You're an abject professional, sir. Where can people find your work and where can they follow you on social? Well, you can follow me on social on the Bird app at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You can follow all my written work at Patriot Maven of Sports Illustrated at Patriot Maven SI. And, of course, each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Mike Tabate, he's on Twitter, M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L, covering the Patriots for Patriots Maven and then the Locked On Patriots podcast. Always a great guest. Patriots Maven Sports Illustrated. Like, that's the craziest thing. Sports Illustrated changed its model, but the fact that he landed that gig underscores that he... Chris, you don't just get that, right? No, you have to be talented to get that. And We're for, not. Yeah, and yet for some reason, talented people love coming to talk to us. I'll never... Chris, to, to this day, I mean, this, the, the bones of this new studio of ours are literally founded on it. And yet, I I still can't wrap my head around it. But with that said, we're left with tonight's keys to victory. And I got to say, these might be some of the most important of the entire season. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I'm feeling powerful tonight. What about you? Yeah, I feel like I could bench. I feel like I could bench press you. Well, that's not you're dead bot supreme. I mean, I don't know if. Yeah. <laughs> What are, you, what are you, 168 pounds? No, I'm like 185, 190. Jesus, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't admit that out loud. I would. <laughs> God knows I'm feeling strong tonight, and we've got a bunch of keys to victory for you tonight. First of all, everybody in our front seven, you got to bring a set. Okay, bring a set to this game. The Patriots offensive line averages about five yards per carry pretty much across the offensive line because their rebuilt offensive line and multifaceted running back stable just they bring the pain, but their biggest and most impactful runs seem to all be generated when rushing up the middle of the defense where we got absolutely slaughtered by the Indianapolis Colts. And that was something that the Titans were even able to utilize against us and keep them in the in the, their game against us, which we also inevitably lost. One of our what Chris what, what are we now? One and three? One and three in the AFC South? Who saw that coming? With Star back, our linebackers healthy, it's gonna be on these guys to throw I don't know, throw on some DMX, rub a little soap in their eyes, and get their asses to work. Fighting through those blocks and coming downhill into the lanes with authority. What? Not everybody does that? No. That's not how everybody just gets up for things? No, I can see you... (laughs) I can see you doing that at at work. You you get called to come into a meeting and... 
uh, you listen to a couple minutes of DMX and then you come into a meeting room barking. Yeah, bring your whole crew, Rough Riders Anthem. Yeah, you start barking like a dog. <laughs> to listen. <laughs> listen. I mean, you have may, the teeth Maybe for not it. everyone sees the world the way I do, but you guys are missing out. Milano has always been a phenomenal talent in this regard, but Edmonds is having a breakout year. He's playing with the kind of physicality I think we all expected him to bring when he was drafted. It's all clicking for him, and it's vital because these are the games that he was drafted for. He is specifically the guy I need to not not only not get fooled by the eye candy that Josh McDaniels builds into his offense, both in the pass and the run, but he needs to show that he's developed it between the ears, enough to go out there and be both smart and physical for four full quarters. On the defensive line, you need to hold that offensive line in place so that our linebackers can come downhill and do their jobs. I wouldn't be shocked to see us come into this game with at least nine defensive linemen active for the matchup. Just for rotational pur- purposes, kind of like what they did against Kansas City. They picked their moments. Having nine allowed them to kind of pick and choose situationally who they wanted to deploy. That's going to be a huge boon to us. And if Sean McDermott doesn't do that, I feel like it's a miss. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I can get behind you on that. Okay. And it's it's no small task that we're asking of them. And I'll understand if it's not any of their collective forte at this point in their careers. I mean, there is no Jeff Simmons. There's no Holote Nada or Ted Washington out there in a Bills uniform for us on Monday. Or Sam Adams. But I don't give a single shit about any of that. This is the biggest rivalry in your division being played on the biggest stage and what might be the biggest moment of your entire season. I need to see everybody play like they give a shit. I need to see this defense act like it's one of the top defenses in football. Starr and Phillips need to attack the A and B gaps with ferocity. They need to dictate to the offensive line rather than letting them get into their pads and direct them. Ed needs to continue his hot streak in penetration and be disruptive behind the line of scrimmage. Obata and Rousseau need to hold at the point of attack and stretch running backs laterally so our linebackers can get to the edge before the running backs can get to the second level. To a man, veteran or rookie, it doesn't matter. These are the games where you either you nut up or shut up at this point. If you can't get up for a game like this and elevate your play, push maybe the limits of your personal focus and your physical ability in those moments, then I don't know if you're a guy I want on my fucking football team. That's it. To a man, this defense has to decide to play like they have a pair. Now, I expect them to rise to that occasion. I do. At the same time, I... (laughs) I mean, at the same time, it's not just on them, right? No. It's not just on them. There's a whole other side of the ball that has to handle their business. What I will say before we leave the defense, you got to rattle McCorkle, but you got to do it with simulated pressure. And this can't be under, because this is the thing that I, I can foresee going very wrong for the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots line has been rebuilt like we've discussed, and it's not just lip service that we're paying them. I mean, they're a well-graded pass blocking unit, one of the better ones in the NFL right now. And the scheme they operate organically prevents teams from pinning their ears back and getting after the quarterback. 
with all the bloviating about the greatness that Mac Jones is in the media, there's two things to remember. One, he's a rookie. Two, he doesn't throw downfield well. When he's pressured, which is rare, he can be forced into mistakes and poor play. But that's going to be hard to manufacture when you consider the caliber of the offensive line that they've built in front of him. And with our the way our defensive line has kind of played the last month, I mean, Ed Oliver is probably the only one, Chris, that you would trust to be consistently pressuring the passer, correct? Yeah. Especially in an offense that's not built to spend a lot of time with the ball in their hands. They either hand it off quickly dish it out quickly to a running back out of the backfield or a shallow crosser or a tight end that managed to leak behind the linebackers. They don't spend a lot of time with the ball in their hands. So the reality of us getting home, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills finish this game with less than one sack. Half a sack, one sack. Like if, if, if there was a line, one and a half sacks over under, I'd take the under. Probably under. I feel like that's a lot of happens a lot when we play the Patriots. Is you think like okay, we have this great defensive line, and then nobody gets home. Do you remember that Rex Ryan game? We thought that they were they, they were like, oh, the Bills are going to try to set the noise record. Yeah, the Bills just throttled the Colts. Yeah, we're all going to go. We're going to beat up Tom Brady. Tom Brady threw for like three hundred and something yards, and they just smoked us in that game. It was absurd. That's where they thrive. They say, look, if that's what you're going to do, that's fine. We have a we have an offensive coordinator who can figure this out. <sighs> I Here's what I'll say. I expect the Bills to put a lot of Milano and Edmonds in the A-gap. And a lot of manipulation of the rookie's eyes with our safety in and around the box on passing downs. I mean, at least if they want to win this game, that's what they're going to do. If they can get him guessing in conjunction with simulated pressure, like, hey, we're coming, we're coming, but you don't know from where. Hey, we're going to show you a defensive line and two linebackers in the A-gap. And then those guys are going to drop back and Teron Johnson's going to come off the edge. And that's where it's coming from. But we're actually only still rushing four or five. That's what it's going to take to win this football game. Or at least get under the skin of a quarterback who still hasn't seen enough yet to be considered. For the way people talk about him, he hasn't seen enough yet. And it's time. There's a reason Sean McDermott's record is now, what, 9 and 2? Because of that ridiculous disaster in Jacksonville? We're 9 and 2 against rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, he's got two losses now. Because he finds a way to heat them up a little bit, put some fire under their feet, make make them sweat. If he can get, if we can get him pro- guessing in conjunction with our pedestrian pass rush and speed things up from from a processing standpoint, before he's ready and before these crossing routes and the shallow comebacks and all the other bullshit that they run their offense on can develop, make him feel like we're coming even when we're not there and leave him guessing. We can flummox the way the flummox this kid the way they have every other rookie quarterback. And when we do send pressure, you got to send it from the second and third level, and you can't be afraid to call those, especially against a kid who can't throw the ball downfield well. If he can't go 10, 15, 20 yards downfield with consistency and with accuracy, that opens up the playbook to say, listen, I'm going to send a Jordan Poyer blitz. I'm going to send a Micah Hyde blitz. I'm just going to do it situationally, but I'm going to do it because... That's what this might take. You know, if it's third and long, 
Don't be afraid to walk a safety up and then all of a sudden come off the edge with them or walk them to the linebacker level and then try to shoot a gap with a defensive back. You have to get exotic with how you're going to disrupt these guys because they are a well-oiled machine when you let them operate inside that seven-yard box. I just, I don't know. We need to kitchen sink this kid creatively to ensure that while playing in an offense designed to just let him dink and dunk his way down the field and thrive off yards after the catch, we have adequate coverage while still lighting a fire under this kid's ass. (sighs) To the offense. Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Brian Dable. You all have to be mistake-free. For Sean McDermott, you need to manage your time elsewhere. Organization is going to be key. The Patriots don't make many mistakes, do they? No. No. They don't waste timeouts. They don't waste challenges. They don't waste time. They're... they're, they're, it's like I was They're joking. Buttoned up. It's like I was joking about earlier. They are efficient. <laughs> they they might not be the sexiest thing in the world, but they are efficient across the board, positionally to the coaches to everything. It's been a, the bane of the Bills' existence for years. We need to prove that we can do that. That we can outdo them in that realm. Not only that, but McDermott needs to figure out a game day roster that allows us to be just as flexible on offense as the Patriots are on defense. You know, we always talk, the, the big story is, well, the Patriots defense is so multifaceted and it does all these things. Okay. Well, we have cards we can play too. And it's just up to whether or not they choose to, you know, the McKenzie conversation. He has a role that he can fill. We need as many defensive linemen active as possible without giving up ground on the coverage units. I mean, if I see Vernon Butler in a Bills uniform on Monday, I'll cuss everyone out. That guy shouldn't be allowed in the building this week just so he doesn't get his stink all over everybody who might actually perform for us. I I just, Chris, I don't want it. I don't want to see him. It's on McDermott to make smart decisions when it comes to that game day roster and how we go into it. And when it gets in the moment, he has to be willing to take some shots. He can't get gun shy. We've watched it happen a couple times this season already. All the tough talk of the offseason was, we're going to be different. We're going to be different in these moments. I've learned. I've learned from my lessons from last year where I felt like we went for field goals and we should have gone for touchdowns. But then when moments got tight, he got tight. And you watched him make those mistakes. If he does it again, it's going to be to our detriment. I promise you. McDermott has to show he's up to this because Bilichak has no problem showing everybody his balls, right? Yeah. I'll be a little bit concerned if you know if this is going to be a tight game, and maybe if we're behind, I'm not. I don't want to see Josh Allen play a whole bunch of cowboy football. Well, then hero, it's on this coaching ball. staff. It's on this coaching staff. Take what Belichick gives you. If it's you know you got to dump it off to Breda or Knox in the flat, and take what they give you. And that's where it comes to Josh Allen or Brian Dable. Dynamic but mistake free. Okay. If we're comparing the styles, I guess this is what I was just alluding to and what I was alluding to earlier in the podcast when I was talking about the beer. If we're comparing the styles of each of these teams using horror movie analogies, the Buffalo Bills are Friday the 13th. They can catch you off guard, strike quickly, and have multiple tools they can use to make an absolute massacre of your defense. And yet, they can also be tricked into things by savvy coordinators the same way we've watched Jason Voorhees be set on fire, shot, Stabbed in the face, 
drowned. Like this, this guy, he bumbles. He's great. He does a lot of damage, but he bumbles. The Patriots are more like Michael Myers. They don't, they don't hide what they're about. They're just slow, methodical, and yet regardless of how fast teams try to run away, they inevitably trip and fall. They twist an ankle. They uh, try struggle to load a gun and can't quite get it. And then it jams in their face. And then, uh, I don't know, they just end up dead with their necks broke. Like, that's what happens. One approach is going to end up proving to be the superior in this one. The Bills' superior ability to move the ball through the air and play opportunistic defense against the Patriots' smothering, methodical marches up and down the field in just four to five yards at a time. Three yards per play, three yards per play, three yards per play. All of a sudden, you know, three yards, then five yards, then 18 yards, then three yards, then three yards, then six yards, then eight yards. And all of a sudden you look around and you go, wait, how did they, how did they get to our 20? And then they kick a field goal and you say, okay, well, it's just a field goal. But those add up. And when you let them just march that way, like Michael Myers, just methodically down the field, even if it ends in a field goal, it's pressure because now they've put the pressure on you as an offense to perform. And they get every time that succeeds, you get a little bit tighter as an offense. And eventually, like a boa constrictor, they just drag you down and you die. That's it. If our method's going to win the day, we need a few teams from each, a few things from each of these guys. First of all, on Allen, we need decisiveness. The Patriots' pass rushers in multiple fronts are designed to give our offensive line absolute fits. And if our offense is going to find its traction, it's going to be because Allen figures out how to make quick decisions regardless of the shifting defensive alignments the Pats throw at him. The Colts admitted after beating us that that's what they did. They stayed in a too high shell and then shifted post-snap to change their alignments and that it just they knew that it would confuse Josh Allen and it did that cannot happen again here and part of that is going to be Josh's decision making in the moment there's not going to be anyone to help him there's not going to be an offensive coordinator in his ear in those moments if this defense shows pressure and then drops out and floods the deeper quarters of the field that trying to bait him into turnover worthy throws the same way he was against Kansas City, we need to see a Josh Allen who's not afraid to take things into his own hands. Go out there in the open field and be a fucking horse. At the same time, when they crowd the line of scrimmage, or when they send delayed pressure, or even more damning, when they load pre-snap the offensive line and you know they're coming, he's got to be ready to make adjustments to the line. Go out there, make some side adjustments. Look for Cole Beasley. Look for your dump-offs, whether it's a running back out of the backfield, whether it's a tight end on a three-yard route. You're better off living to fight another day on a short game than you are playing cowboy football, to your point, Chris, like that Jacksonville game, and turning the ball over and just exacerbating this entire mess. I mean, that's the Michael Myers approach. Yeah, I don't want to see, I don't want to see another Josh Allen to Josh Allen-style interception. You know, like in that situation with where he got picked off, you we just can't take, have it. Take the sack because against them, we were still in the game because their team sucks. Against the Patriots, that's a death knell. That's it. You yeah, make that's a like play the start like that, of a blowout. You, you lose the game when you start making decisions like that. And also, I need to see a little bit of balls out of him too. This is what it is. Sometimes you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take the hit. Stand in the pocket. 
Last year, he made his bones. His biggest jump happened at the beginning of December. That San Francisco Monday Night Football game. He comes out. The, the offense turns the ball over. Then we get scored on. We're down by seven. And Chris, I, it's what started the Molson Ice nonsense. It literally almost killed me. But Josh Allen stood in the pocket in the face of that pass rush that they showed on the first drive and just said, you know what? No, not again. No, nah, no, we're good. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna drop dimes on you by standing here in the pocket. I don't care what you bring to me. You hit me, you hit me. But that means somebody's out there. That game, we chewed them up playing that style of football. Allen has to... Tr- Trust his offensive line. Now, maybe that helps because a lot of his offensive linemen are healthy finally. But Allen's been risk-averse for weeks because the shitty offensive line play in front of him has made him, you, you watch him get happy feet. He's, he's supremely talented, but he's, got, he's gotten happy about leaving the pocket, about abandoning plays and just standing in the But last year when we were at our best, it was because he was willing to stand tall in the face of that, and our offensive line gave him the confidence to do that. Now, he's just got to do it apropos of maybe, maybe the offensive line can't give you that. You still got to do it, man. That's going to be the thing that wins this football game. I want to see the cantaloupes he has on him now that he's gotten that fat check. Go out there and do it. It's like I said earlier in the year, I think it gives him where most quarterbacks look at that that payday and go, hey, this gives me my security blanket. Now I don't have to play so hard. Josh has proven to us that it just gives him carte blanche to just be more reckless. Well, this is the game where standing in the pocket and hanging tough. That's the recklessness I need to see out of you. And for Dayball, give Josh every tool so that he can do that. I mean, not that the kick return job's been reallocated to Stevenson. It's easy to see why the team might think to make McKenzie inactive again. I think that's a mistake. I think that because think about I can this. see in this game that you want a veteran presence in that area. Not just a veteran presence, but think about what might. What, let's think about this. What he can bring to the table on offense might be the wrinkle we need to unravel these complex defensive alignments. Last season, McKenzie led the NFL in percentage of snaps he was used in motion. That's not an accident. He was the player primarily rotated around the formation pre-snap that helped Josh Allen key into what kind of coverage he was seeing, whether it was man, whether it was zone, who was responsible for what zone. And then he found soft spots in it, and our offense ate people alive. We phased that aspect of our attack out entirely. Ever since Isaiah McKenzie got allocated to the kick return role. And it's, I think it's been to our detriment. So when I see that, I think it's I look at this game and I say, listen, especially with bad weather, it's time for Dable to at least make a case to bring back that tool to our offense against a team where you don't know where they're aligning. They're always different. They could be man. They could be zoned. They can play with the safety coverage they have. They have so many different looks. Let's give Josh a tool to try to unravel some of that. <laughs> and also, in inclement weather where deep balls might not be the soup du jour, doesn't it make sense to have a guy who has good field vision, good speed, a little bit of shiftiness in the open field that you could dump it off to for three yards and watch him make plays? Why wouldn't you want more of that in a game like what we might see on Monday? Yeah, we got to. Yeah. 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 Toxic differential with play calling. That's the one. That, that's the big one. Did you talk about this with Aaron? 
No, this is something I actually talked about with uh, Greg Thompson during our Saints recap. Close enough. I remarked on the number of absolute failures by this team when it came to calling runs on second and long. I mean, they became throwaway plays. Some of them just literally got us negative yardage and actually made the job we were trying to do on offense harder. It hurt us in terms of field position. This is a game where you have to win the toxic differential margin. And in that way, we can't have negative rushing plays putting us in painfully unmanageable third downs. I told Greg yesterday, if they can't move on from these nonsense second and long runs, especially in a game this important, a lot like the father from A Christmas Story, I'm going to weave a tapestry of profanity that will hang over Lake Erie until next December 6th. That's what's going to happen if Brian Dable cannot unfuck himself in this, this ridiculous love affair with play calling the run that he has when it comes to second along, when it comes to first downs and weird moments with weird formations that aren't designed to win. Because this Patriots front will eat us alive in that regard. You need to knock it off, Dable. But I think the last one, Chris, and maybe the most important one, I don't know, maybe not most important, but it's definitely will play a role. It's on us. It's on us, the fans. This is McCorkle's third game in primetime. But it's his first played... I mean, think about this. It's His first home game was played in the confines of Gillette Stadium. The second was a Thursday night football game against Atlanta. Now, Chris, I'll let you tell our listeners what Atlanta football fans are like. Well, for one, living there for 17 years, I didn't know any. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> everybody's from somewhere else. And whenever... There was a game that I went to. It was, I think it was Matt Ryan's rookie season. We had a bye, and it just so happened I had a buddy text me, hey, free ticket. You want to go? Who are they playing? The Bears. Yes, I would love to see the Chicago Bears. That place was Soldier South. Bears kicked a field goal with like 45 seconds left. To take the lead, me included in the stadium, because I, I got no skin in that game. We all left. We all left. And then we were out we're outside the Georgia Dome and you could hear a small roar. And then you check your phone. Oh, the Falcons just came back and won with a last second field goal to win. And the whole stadium left. <laughs> that fan base is non existent. This is going to be his first road game, playing on a national stage in a giant, meaningful moment. And he's going to be doing it in front of a fan base that's been waiting an entire calendar year to see their franchise quarterback play on this stage. The loudest, most rabid, most manic-to-a-fault group of football fans that exist in the NFL. It's our responsibility, regardless of the scoreboard, regardless of the weather, to make sure that he and the Patriots, not just hear, but feel it for 60 minutes. Weather be damned. I mean, I sat through the Colts Blizzard game of 2017 until the end. And I can tell you this. Frostbite and flus are temporary. A win against the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football in our home stadium, that's forever. 
That is something that you'll carry with you. You're going to tell your kids about it. I expect to see everyone. I expect to see everyone out there at the tailgate. I expect to see you all out there in the stands. I expect to hear you all for four straight quarters. And when this thing is over, I expect that win or lose, we're going to walk out of there knowing what the rest of our 2021 season is going to look like. Let's make it a night to remember. All right? Who's with me? Oh, I'm all fired up. I'm going to drink three more beers before I get out of here. Woo! I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been our Week 13 Preview.